a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to The Hub. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. New developments in Asia-Pacific and its real politicking at its best. The United States and Vietnam have elevated their ties to comprehensive strategic partnership. Bear in mind that is one of the highest designation in Vietnam's foreign relations. That was announced during Joe Biden's visit trip to Hanoi, Vietnam, and that is significant. Joe Biden is only the second ever sitting U.S. president to visit Vietnam. The two countries did fight one of the most prolonged, brutal, costly, and tragic wars since the end of the Second World War. And now, the two countries seem to have come a long way. That said, China's relations with Vietnam have been robust too. The Secretary General of Vietnam's ruling Communist Party was the foreign leader to visit China after the 20th Congress of the Communist Party of China last October. On top of that, China has been Vietnam's largest trading partner for as long as people can remember. The trade volume of China and Vietnam were some 25% higher than that between Vietnam and the United States, as much as people love to talk about reshoring and friendshoring. Now, to make sense of all this, I'm joined in Tokyo by Lim Tai-Wai, adjunct research fellow at the National University of Singapore. In Washington, D.C., we have Klaus Lorsch, distinguished professor of history and international affairs at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And in Beijing, China, we have Rong Ying, vice president of the China Institute of International Studies. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. Let me start with you, Vice President Rong Ying. This is significant because this elevation of relations between Washington and Hanoi is um, such that it is one of the highest designations in Vietnam's foreign relations. What do you think Vietnam hopes to gain from all this? And what do you think the United States has to gain from this new partnership? Well, it is true. I think if you look at the formula of the uh, relationship, the designation between uh, United States and Vietnam, you're, uh, you're right. I think it's now has been elevated to the extent where um, uh, the its relationship is now almost uh, stand side by side with uh, Vietnam's relationship with Russia, a traditional ally, with uh, India, again, a very close relationship traditionally and also in other areas and South Korea. Regard to the China, I think I always, as a Chinese, I also want to say that it looks like if the formula, there is still a difference because China's relationship with Vietnam has been designated as the comprehensive strategic cooperative relationship. So that one word, additional word, may tell us, I mean, the relationship has a different nature or different scope and, of course, a different uh, sort of a context. But all in all, I think the relationship between uh, Vietnam and the United States has been uh, making steady progress and highlighted by this visit. And of course, there are a lot of work to be done and a lot of uh, uh, issues to be resolved. Having said that, I think we have to agree that the relationship is now in good shape and there are good uh, sort of prospect for further furthering that relationship if all the agreements and could be, uh, are being implemented. Yeah, Vice President Rong Ying, uh, do you expect Beijing to be upset by this new elevation in any way? 
And um, uh, what does this new elevation mean to China's relations with Vietnam? Yeah, I think if one follows the spokeswoman's remarks uh, at the foreign ministry, uh, responding to the question of this, uh, similar questions, I think, for the relationship, I think China does not want to make a comparison and contrast. After all, uh, uh, with the two uh, sets of relations, after all, they are different nature and of a different uh, sort of uh, purpose. But, uh, but China also made clear that for the United States uh, uh, to develop its relationship with Asian countries, it should not uh, uh, sort of based on the so, uh, zero-sum uh, game and mindset and Cold War mentality. And it should follow the uh, sort of norms and the principles governing international So it's a very general remarks. And also, having said that, I think this spokesperson, spoke women's remarks also made very clear about the uh, importance of the uh, of the relationship between mm -hmm. China and uh, and Vietnam. So no comparison, but also I think very much aware. I think the impact, and particularly from the United States side, I mean the the, the purpose for 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 that. Yeah, Mr. Lim in Tokyo talking about this new partnership between Vietnam and the United States. What do you think of it? What is the symbolism as well as practical significance for the t these two countries? Well, uh, I think most reports uh, really focus on economic uh, aspects. Uh, for example, uh, there's going to be a deal uh, between the U.S. and uh, Vietnam in which uh, the U.S. will supply uh, 737 MAX uh, Boeing jets uh, to uh, Vietnam. And in return, it will create uh, 30,000 jobs uh, in uh, the U.S. Uh, so this is a landmark deal that is worth around U.S. 7.8 uh, billion. Uh, and so 50 uh, 737 MAX uh, jet is going to be the start uh, of a cementing uh, industrial relationship between the two. Uh, from the Vietnamese side, they also see this as a uh, economic uh, cooperation. Uh, they are very eager to uh, get uh, U.S. Uh, chip-making uh, factories and foundries uh, to uh, Vietnam. Uh, in fact, uh, some U.S. companies have already opened up a campus in the uh, outskirts uh, of uh, Ho Chi Minh City, and uh, there's, uh, I think, the investment is around 1.5 billion U.S. dollars. Uh, that's already there. So uh, there is some uh, sort of expectations that uh, the Americans will, uh, American investors will expand uh, the chip making investments uh, in Vietnam in line with uh, Vietnam's aspiration to become a chip-making uh, power as well. In addition, uh, Vietnamese companies have also gone to open up factories in North Carolina to produce EV cars. So I think there's a deepening economic relationship between the two. And Mr. Lin, uh, you know, considering all these um, interconnected and uh, strong industrial relations between Vietnam and the United States, do you think these relations will uh, inevitably evolve into stronger security ties because we've heard about the fact that um, um, American chip makers, as you just mentioned, are considering uh, relocating part of their supply chains to Vietnam and also the uh, weapons manufacturers reportedly are also considering Vietnam as a viable alternative. Well, uh, Vietnam, like the ASEAN, is pursuing an omnidirectional foreign policy. 
omnidirectional means, means that uh, Vietnam and ASEAN will pursue relationship with all the major powers. So if you have been reading the reports about the uh, latest uh, visit by the US president to Vietnam, uh, the reports also mentioned that Vietnam is uh, in a deal uh, to buy Russian uh, weapon systems. Uh, and also a senior Chinese uh, official have visited uh, Vietnam uh, before uh, Biden's visit. And so this omnidirectional uh, sort of uh, policy means that Vietnam wants to deepen the ties with all the uh, superpowers uh, in the region, the major powers in the region, and to be able to benefit uh, from all of them. So yeah. omnidirectional does not mean that it will be targeted at anyone. Yeah, but Mr. Lim, considering Americans, uh, America's sanctions uh, towards Russia, uh, it's great to talk about this uh, omnidirectional relationship, multidirectional relationship. But in reality, if Vietnam buys weapons from Russia, for example, would Washington be upset? Uh, would uh, Vietnam be subject to America's own sanctions as well? I think the word that they use is diversification. So uh, it's not really upset, but uh, the fact that uh, they want to offer Vietnam choices uh, when it comes to industrial or uh, dual-use uh, technologies. So diversification rather than a sort of a, a exclusion is a, appears to be the, the, the game here. And uh, Vietnam, uh, I think, uh, will stick uh, to its omnidirectional uh, industrial and uh, foreign policies in this respect. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Professor Loris, let me turn to you. At the news conference in Hanoi, Vietnam, President of the United States Joe Biden said this. Uh, I want you to listen to what he said first. And uh, I think that one of the things we've done, I've tried to do, and I've talked with a number of my staff about this for the last, I guess, six months, is we have an opportunity to strengthen alliances around the world to maintain stability. That's what this trip was all about. Having India cooperate much more with the United States, be closer with the United States, Vietnam being closer with the United States, it's not about containing China. It's about having a stable base, a stable base in the Indo-Pacific. But Professor Loris, in reality, don't you think that this new elevation between Vietnam and the United States is a thinly veiled uh, China countering strategy or China hedging strategy? Uh, if not China containing strategy. Uh, I mean, is what Joe Biden just said just uh, American rhetoric? No, I don't think so. It is um, really the attempt to counterbalance uh, China in the Indo-Pacific region. And the reason why we have seen that deal today was, first of all, American patience. They have wooed Vietnam over the last two years and longer. You know, ca uh, cabinet members went to Vietnam, even aircraft carriers uh, visited Vietnam, and that patience has borne fruit with that agreement. But there are always two sides to the agenda. And it is also Chinese mishaps which have driven the Vietnamese into American hands, if you like. You know, China has pursued a very assertive policy in the South China Sea that has antagonized Vietnam. Only last week, you know, water cannons were used on um, Vietnamese fishermen and their boats. And that, of course, makes the Vietnamese angry, but also anxious. And they feel uh, really under pressure from China. And that has pushed them into the American hands. And the, uh, as far as Vietnam is concerned, they want to gain a little bit more independence, strategic independence from uh, China. And China is, of course, the biggest neighbor 
Vietnam has, the biggest trading partner. So Vietnam will not be able to become independent entirely from China, but they want to gain a little bit more independence by counterbalancing China with, for example, the United States. But Vietnam has also said they want to develop close relations in the future with Australia, with Japan, with India, with other countries around the world. And I think from a Vietnamese point of view, that is fully understandable. Any big neighbor intimidates a small country, and that small country then looks for alternatives. And of course, there also is an economic dimension, you know, to develop the American market is always beneficial for a small country, a relatively small country such as Vietnam. And that is also appreciated by Vietnam. So Vietnam, as far as I can see, can only gain from that deal today. And the United States, of course, expects also to uh, gain from the deal, both economically, but also strategically in the Indo-Pacific. But Professor Loris, uh, let's not forget, uh, other than some disputes in South China Sea, among other security issues, China and Vietnam have this very robust trading relationship. Uh, Vietnam's uh, very progressive economy depends on uh, raw materials and as well as finished goods from China. Uh, the trade volume between China and Vietnam uh, are somewhere between 25% to a third higher than that of the United States. Uh, as much as people talk about uh, the progress in Vietnam's trade with the United States. No, that is what I just said. Uh, Vietnam will not be able to free itself from its dependency and also its cooperation and partially also its partnership with China. That is impossible. You know, the United States is also geographically very far away from Vietnam, but China is, of course, just round the corner. So I think it is the attempt by Vietnam to counterbalance uh, various forces around the world and to gain a little bit of independence, a little bit of freedom for its own policy, for its own independent policy making. That doesn't mean Vietnam is going to break up relations with China, not at all. They have still very close relations and that will continue, but Vietnam also wants to have uh, other flourishing relations around the world, including with the United States. In a way, you can say Vietnam is becoming a, or is trying to become a little bit more neutral in that great power competition around the world we are witnessing at the moment. Right. Professor Rongying, let me turn to you. Can you give us the big picture here uh, when it comes to China's relations with Vietnam? Because uh, the Western media love to focus on, you know, skirmishes in South China Sea. But on the other hand, uh, Vietnam being this very important uh, member of ASEAN uh, has this very progressive relations with China and China-Vietnam relations are, are multifaceted. Yeah, I think uh, we really have to take a balanced look of the uh, complexity and also, I think, uh, the important relationship between China and uh, Vietnam. Uh, after all, China and Vietnam are close neighbors. Uh, we share such a long history of the relationship, which naturally would uh, bring about some differences or disputes. What I want to point out that what is happening uh, now or in, uh, related to the South China Sea is not the provocation or aggressiveness of Chinese uh, policy. Rather, it is a kind of right, legitimate way to defend China's sovereignty, territorial integrity, or and in, this, in the case of South China Sea, also related to the maritime issues. United States and other external uh, powers or third parties should respect the efforts China and ASEAN in general and these 
disputed um, in con uh, countries in particular for resolve their differences in a peaceful uh, way through dialogues. And uh, uh, this is, I think, the basic uh, point. This is the starting point of uh, looking at that. If the United States wanted to exploit the differences, it want to add the Chinese saying goes fishing the troubled water, that would cause more problem. Not only for the problem for the bilateral between China and, and Vietnam and others, but also for the problem of the region as a whole. And for Vietnam, I think if we take the shoes of Vietnam, uh, and naturally it would find uh, more sort of room, uh, more flexibility to manage the changing dynamics in the region. In this case, of course, the relationship between China and the United States. And so far, I would say that Vietnam has managed to do pretty well. The relationship between China and Vietnam has multi sort of dimension and a lot of uh, much deeper in terms, not only in terms of economic and trade issues, so we're talking about the, the need for development, the, the relationship, the road, but also in the political front where both China and, and Vietnam are led by the Communist Party and share a lot of common grounds in terms of how to explore a proper road for development in allowance conditions and equally important, how to manage the balance of a transition. Uh, between, I mean, security and the development. So that's why I think at the very beginning you talked about the first ever visit uh, after the 20th yep. Party Congress of China was taken by Vietnam. There, there are a lot of things uh, in this regard, and the significance and importance of that aspect should not be underestimated. Yeah, we'll be talking about that visit uh, happening that took place last October later on in our program. But uh, for the moment, let me turn to you, Mr. Lim, in Tokyo. Uh, Mr. Rongying just talked about the fact that the United States uh, is perceived as exploiting the differences, uh, however marginal that might be, between Vietnam and China. Um, do you agree? Do you look at that way too? It is no secret uh, that there is a great rivalry uh, between the two great superpowers. And for many years, uh, many countries in the region uh, faces uh, challenges uh, in uh, trying to balance uh, between the two great uh, superpower. And Vietnam is often seen to be one that is doing quite well. Uh, in fact, uh, as you have, uh, as your shoot, uh, footage uh, shows, uh, President Biden says that uh, he does not intend uh, to contain uh, China or to start a Cold War uh, in the uh, press conference. And indeed, that is uh, in line with the Asian uh, Pacific outlook uh, that is promoted by ASEAN, uh, which includes uh, Vietnam. Uh, and that these uh, kind of outlook is uh, omnidirectional. Uh, in addition to uh, the uh, pursuing uh, ties with uh, China and the US, uh, Vietnam has also reached out to uh, great powers like India and Japan. So I think uh, the ASEAN will try to maintain this uh, neutral uh, platform uh, as much as they can uh, and also balance it uh, with uh, their own national, uh, respective national interests. Uh, so in that sense, uh, I think uh, the new neutrality balance uh, will continue, particularly by uh, Vietnam, who can benefit from good ties with both great superpowers. Yeah, Mr. Lin, uh, how do you envision Vietnam's uh, security relations with the United States to evolve? I mean, Vietnam obviously has allowed uh, American navies to make port calls occasionally. 
Uh, do you think at the United Nations Security Council going forward, um, uh, you know, if there were such a vote on the issue of Taiwan, Xinjiang, or Hong Kong, uh, how would Vietnam vote, for example? Uh, would uh, Vietnam uh, follow the United States Navy's, uh, you know, providing assistance anyway? Um, would that violate Vietnam's own neutral stance, as you have mentioned? How far would Vietnam and Washington go in terms of securities? Well, if you look at the Vietnam's uh, arms industry, it is uh, heavily, it is still heavily dependent uh, on Russian uh, arms. And uh, in, in the same news report, uh, as mentioned, uh, they are in a deal uh, to uh, purchase uh, Russian arms. The U.S. is keen to diversify uh, uh, the uh, uh, arms purchases with the choices that they can offer. But at the same time, perhaps, uh, you know, if you go just a, little, uh, a couple of weeks uh, uh, or months earlier, uh, Vietnam has also received a free warship from India and has expressed interest in buying missile systems from, from India. So this omnidirectional uh, arms purchases uh, indicates that uh, Vietnam, in terms of defense and security, would like to have a balanced policy and therefore maintain its uh, neutrality uh, as well. Uh, and I think uh, as long as the arms uh, industry is engaged with all major powers, it does not want to have a confrontation with major powers unless its national sovereignty or its national interests are transgressed. Yeah, it's not just the arms industry of the United States, but also the high-tech industry as well. The United States has been eager to secure deals with the Vietnam on semiconductors and minerals. Uh, Professor Loris, uh, let me turn to you. Um, you know, these offers were seen as uh, countering um, the influence of China and America's so-called dependence on the Chinese market, you know, moving part of their supply chains away from China and, uh, uh, you know, French-shoring, quote-unquote to countries like Vietnam. How much success do you think these efforts will be? Well, we see a general trend of diversification around the world. All major countries want to diverse their dependence on supply chains on certain countries. And here China, of course, figures large. But it doesn't just mean they don't want to depend on China alone. They don't want to depend on any one country. The same would apply to India if the same dependencies existed. And I think that is understandable, and that was one of the lessons of the pandemic, when it became clear that masks, for example, could only be purchased from China, that 90% of the mass market was in China. And that worried other countries, and they felt they had to diversify and also build up their own market and manufacturing again in their own countries. And what we see now with Vietnam is that so-called de-risking or diversification of uh, uh, supply chains. And uh, semiconductors are, of course, very important. And uh, to develop an alternative market to perhaps Taiwan, to China, to other uh, areas in the world makes only uh, a lot of sense for many countries, not just the United States. And I think that is what we're seeing right now, the diversification of supply chains. But Professor Loris, what do you think of the role of America's weapons manufacturers, uh, you know, in Pentagon, in Arlington and across the country, indeed, uh, you know, uh, trying to uh, selling the rest of the world weapons in countries uh, as diverse as uh, uh, Great Britain and uh, Vietnam, the, a former foe that America fought one of the bloodiest wars in recent history? 
Yes, the Vietnam War was a terrible uh, war. It lasted for many long years and also the repercussions afterwards were terrible. It took a long time, decades to overcome that. But right now, actually, and I was in Vietnam only a couple of years ago, uh, when you go to Vietnam, there is actually a very strong pro-American feeling, which puzzled me in view of the Vietnam War. But the young generation, and there are lots of young people in Vietnam, they only vaguely remember the Vietnam War. Their history lessons are not particularly intense. So America enjoys a very good image in uh, Vietnam. And I think that dominates any legacy uh, of the Vietnam War. And uh, selling arms around the world is a preoccupation of many great powers in the world, including the United States, but also including China, Russia and European countries. This is, of course, by its very nature, a highly immoral uh, enterprise because it is a business to kill people in the end. However, all major powers uh, get involved in that and make big, big uh, businesses and big money. And the United States is no exception. And the United States wants to sell its uh, high-tech uh, technology in the arms industry to other countries. And Vietnam, for example, has an interest in that high-tech technology. For example, F-16 American war plans are very much in demand around the world, including, for example, uh, in Ukraine, but also by Vietnam. And here a deal probably will materialize in the future. However, as we just heard, um, uh, Vietnam has, uh, is highly dependent still on Russia and Russian arms. Uh, over the last decades, it got most of its weapons, most of its arms and ammunition from Russia. It will not be able to suddenly switch from Russia to the United States or to any other country. So that will be a long drawn out process. But we see the development that Vietnam is trying to wean itself away from Russian arms and manufacturing uh, uh, of parts of these weapons. Mm -hmm. And of course, that is from a Vietnamese point of view understandable because will the Russians actually be able to deliver their arms as they need them themselves in their terrible war in Ukraine? So from that point of view, it makes a lot of sense if Vietnam looks towards the United States, but also towards other countries to purchase arms. Yeah, a lot can happen in 50 years, and a lot did happen. The elevation of the U.S.-Vietnam ties comes nearly half a century after the end of the bloody Vietnam War. Washington placed the trade embargo on Vietnam that was maintained until 1994 during the Bill Clinton administration. Since then, trade relations have been on the up and up. And gentlemen, thank you. That will do it for this edition of The Hub. Bye for now.